All right, 1 Corinthians. All right, so same question I asked last week when we were looking at Acts. What comes to mind when you think of first and second or first? Corinthians. What are some words that come to mind when you think of the Corinthians? Leather. Leather? leather. Yeah, leather. <laughs> okay. All right. Corinthian leather. You don't remember that? Oh, Corinthian leather. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I thought you said letters. Oh. oh. Corinthian leather. Okay. All right. We know. We know. Okay. You're in the world right now. We know. Port City. That. Port City. Good. Very good. Allow. Yep. How church should be. How church should be. Yeah. Okay. I like that. He definitely has a lot of a lot After of words for the wrong, church. Yeah. After they got it wrong. Yes. After they got it wrong, yeah. Yep. 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 Love. All those things. Love, yeah. We have the famous oh, yeah. love chapter. Yeah. Yep. 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 Absolutely. Yeah, all that and more. Um, so just some basic details. Our author is the Apostle Paul. Right? He says that in chapter one, verse one, identifies himself. Um he probably first preached the gospel in Corinth during his second missionary journey, which he talks about in Acts 18. This is kind of like when we have that overlap between <laughs> Acts and Corinthians, right? Um, the audience is the church at Corinth. And so we have Corinth up here, which I don't have my laser point. Oh, I know what I'll use. Oh, there you go. <laughs> The sword Corinth, of the as you can see, <laughs> oh my God, is up here. Not only we got no people. This here. is pretty. <laughs> this, this day will never happen again. I really, or maybe it just should in the office at all times. <laughs> <laughs> this is, is Greece. So is right? it part of Greece? It's part of Greece. Technically, it's part of Greece. Or, or, or today's Greece. It is. Yep. There is a a canal today that goes right through there. That's very very important. Or I believe it's called an isthmus. It must be my lucky day. Then we have all Asia Minor up here. So we have Ephesus and a bunch of all the other familiar places over here. So pretty far journey from where Paul was going. People are watching on YouTube right now going, should I call the police? Oh, there's a sword. There you go. I was just using this as a pointer to point to Corinth. <laughs> Hello, Steve and Noel. Do you think that, that the island hopped, or just Depends on which journey. The second journey, I'm not. I don't. I don't remember. I think he island hopped, but we could look on our animated map. Yeah. Um, what's the countdown down to, kids? 63? 64. 64. Well, it's after 3 p.m., so it might be 63 now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to check now, that I, now that we're seeming unsure. Don't rush my summer. Okay. I will. I will. All in August. All in August. All right, so Corinth, uh, just a mystery of Corinth really quick. It was originally a Greek city until 146 BC when the Roman Empire kicked in its front doors and decided to burn it to the ground. And it laid dormant for 100 years until Caesar again realized, hey, this could be a pretty cool city. And so Julius Caesar resurrected it, refounded it as a Roman colony in 44 BC. And today, as Wendy said correctly, it's still a part of Greece. It operates a, an important canal it connects the Gulf of Corinth up there with the Aegean Sea, which is very, very important for commerce. Um, it's maintained its Greek roots. Uh, even when uh, Rome took it over, it maintained the Greek gods, the Greek logic, the Greek wisdom, philosophers, all of that after the Greeks returned. And so the Jews sh set up shop there as well. And their language as well, too. Yep, and their language as well. Yep. Uh, so it was a great audience for the gospel. So this is why it was a target for Paul to plant a church. And so very, very significant church. Um, what do we know? We talked about some general words when we think about Corinthians. What do we think about the church at Corinth itself? What words come to mind when we talk about the church at Corinth? Gentile church. Gentile church, okay. Right. A lot of, yep. lot of Gentiles. I mean, there were Jews as well, but yep. but largely Gentiles. Largely Gentiles, yep. Were they well-behaved? No. No. <laughs> nope. 
I was looking back to when we preached through First Corinthians, which was like 2018, believe it or not. Yeah, it was probably like uh, people at highlands, herding cats. Is, yeah, herding cats. Yeah. It was a major metropolitan city, right? Think like New York City plus Las Vegas. Like it had the, the massive commerce and the massive attraction for big business and all of that, but it also had massive sin, especially sexual sin. Uh, it was a land of many idols and mm -hmm. false Greek gods. They were very spiritually immature, and they prized wisdom being mm -hmm. a, a big part of the Greek culture there. So we think Paul wrote this right around 55 AD. Paul makes it clear in um, chapter 16 that he's in Ephesus. So he wrote this from Ephesus, and he was there about two years. And so we can pinpoint, pinpoint that to be around 55. It is a letter. What's another fancy word for a letter? An epistle? An epistle, yes, and follows the standard letter uh, format, right? It has the greeting in the beginning. It says the author's name up front. It says who it's going to, uh, which is verse 2 says the church of God that is in Corinth has the body of the letter and then it has a conclusion. So it is uh, one of Paul's most famous epistles. It is uh, right about in the middle. The average um, Paul letter word count was about 1,300 words. And just to put that in perspective, Romans was over 7,000. Mm. So we are tracking through Romans. He's going crazy in Romans. But let's look at some key themes. Uh, somebody read for us just the introduction. It kind of sets the foundation for us. Maybe somebody read for us verses 1 through 9 of uh, chapter 1. Got it, Julia? Sure. I do. I didn't know if anyone else wanted to. Yeah, she's <laughs> hopping on it. All right. Paul, called to an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and our brother, Sothenes. Sothenes. To the church of God in Corinth, those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank God for you because of this grace given to you in Jesus Christ. For him you have been enriched in every way, in all your speaking and in all your knowledge, because our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will keep you strong to the end, so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God, who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, is faithful. Hmm. Thank you. What things jump out at us just from those first couple verses there in the introduction? Well, I love that Paul always, usually, I should say, uses grace to you and peace from God our Father. Yeah. He always kind of adds that grace. Yep. Yep. What does he call them in verse 2? The church of God. Church of God. Yep. What else? Saints. 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 <laughs> church of Corinth is a pretty jacked up church. A lot of things that we're going to look at. And he calls them saints. Just proves, right? Saints is not something that we attain to, right? It is as we've been talking about in Romans, right? It is a, as a position, right? We are justified by faith. Mm -hmm. and therefore, we are saints, right? Yeah. And he goes on in verse 4. He gives thanks to God always for them, right? You would think that this would kind of be like a more heavy-handed letter. And in parts, it definitely is. Yeah. But he starts off very joyful, very thankful. Calls them saints. Says they're not lacking any gift. And he encourages them, God is faithful, by whom you are called into the fellowship of a son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Yeah. Hmm. So we have our introduction. The first kind of four chapters or so are about God's wisdom, his power, and the future. He talks about the nature of the gospel. And right away in verse 10, right? Many of you have a subject heading there. What do your subject headings say, starting in verse 10? Divisions in the church. Divisions. So now he's getting down to business, right? Maybe Happy Paul's kind of going away, and um, pastoral shepherding Paul's coming out. The uh, 
the shepherding's shepherd's staff is coming out a little bit, right? And he says, I appeal to you by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that all of you agree and there be no divisions among you. You might be united in the same mind, the same judgment. So they're divided and he goes on to list people. Some people say, I follow Paul or Apollos or Cephas or Christ, mm-hmm. right? He goes on to say this and he's like, it's not about any of that, guys, right? It's yeah. about unity in the gospel, right? What do you think they were tempted? Why were they tempted to follow different teachers? I mean, it's because kind that's of what they did. Jesus, That's what they did in the Greek culture. Yeah. Is they followed different teachers. Yeah. So if your so, guy was saying right. stuff that resonated with you, that you liked, you were an Apollos guy. Right. Right? Or you were a Cephas guy or whatever else. Or right? Socrates or Plato. It's sure. probably what they were used to. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah. so that kind of, to Ken's point, right, they kind of fell into the same cultural yeah. thing. Like, oh, yeah. we're, you know, let's, let's stroke our epically long beards. Mm-hmm. have an epically long beard. Right, and let's think about these things. Yeah. Let's, you know, let's talk about these things. Yeah, how is that dangerous? People well, are fallible. Yeah. People are fallible yeah. for sure. Yeah, one of them forgot to say one part, or you know, and someone else included something else. They would say, "Oh, you're yeah. wrong." You know, we're right. Yeah. Also, so, it focuses us on, on men instead of God. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. It's a good thing that doesn't happen today, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. 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 No. I actually just watched um, a very, I didn't realize it, but Tim Keller had recorded what he called his last words, and he played them, or they played them at Redeemer the day that he passed away. And I, I watched his like little last minute, last words video, and he basically said, forget me. Like, don't, don't, not in a bad, not in a bad sense. Saying, but yes, I'm not important. Yeah, important. I'm not important. Right. Jesus is important. So he was he was challenging his yeah. church that he had planted and led for so many years, like, don't make it about me. Like, forget about me. I just thought that was so cool. It's one thing that they beat into us in seminary as well. Just, you know, find a church, preach the gospel, die there and be forgotten. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, okay. That's countercultural. Yeah. yeah. It is. Leave a legacy and all your awesome. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Not it's trying to build up. to be like, well, no, you really don't want to remember me. So. Yeah. Don't want to build a platform or make an international celebrity of yourself or anything like that. And Paul's coming at that, certainly, right? He then kind of challenges wisdom head on, right? Mm-hmm. What do people think of the gospel in, in Corinth in general? Do they respect it? It's folly. It's folly. <laughs> yeah. Madness. It's absolute what are you madness, talking about? right? Verse 18, the word of the cross is folly. To those who are perishing. He was a criminal. You're following a criminal who was killed. You know, like you should be yeah. following this great rich guy, not some... Yeah, that's your God? Yeah, yeah. Killed on a Roman cross. Doesn't sound like a very powerful or wise God. Yeah. Right? And that still happens today. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Paul comes right out and says, I don't claim to be wise. And in chapter 2, Verse 2, famously, he says, I decided to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. He's like, hey, sorry if I don't have these big philosophical theories to lay down on you. Yeah, I'm preaching Christ, right? Sorry, like that's... And he says in verse 5, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul coming immediately against wisdom as a God, Yeah, right? And says, nope, I'm just preaching Christ crucified. I'm sorry if you think that's folly. But that's really the power of salvation, right? And so it doesn't rest on me or any other theories. It rests on the power of God. And that's the gospel in essence, right? Is that it doesn't rest on us, right? It rests on Christ himself. That's who we're glorifying, right? So Paul doesn't want to sound wise either. How should that, like that approach, right? That Paul approach, how does that affect our evangelism, our apologetics even the idea that Paul's saying I'm not wise and I, I'm, I'm preaching Christ crucified right how does that affect our our, our evangelism or apologetics it's very humble in it very humble yep yep takes the stress off of us it's it does take a lot of stress off it's of not us. up to us it's up to yeah. up to us to tell people about God and share the gospel with them and share yeah. 
what what he's done in our lives as well if we yeah. want to you know but the important part is just share the gospel and let god do the rest yeah sometimes i don't know if you guys feel this pressure to like come up with the magic words you know yeah. come up with these deep things that people are going to be like that's amazing drop to their knees and repent yeah. of repent of their sin immediately well right? sometimes i wonder if anything i said had any like if it sank in at all <laughs> you know yeah it's like i think we all feel that when we're evangelizing <laughs> it's just like yeah am i making any sense at all right i don't think i make sense in normal speech <laughs> yeah <laughs> so i would but you know sometimes you're talking to somebody yeah. and they're just nodding their head yeah and you know i, I think they're just yesing me you know yeah yeah, well, I hope this eyes. crazy old guy goes away. <laughs> <laughs> Especially in our apologetics, right? Yeah. Sometimes it might be tempting to think like I could outsmart them or outwit or figure out their arguments. And, you know, it's just, Paul's like, you don't have to go crazy with that, right? Know the gospel and know it well, and that's the power of God. It's not up to you, right? Where do we get this wisdom from this? Paul says it actually is wisdom, but it's wisdom from a certain place, right? Uh, verse 6, he says, Among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it's not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age. Where's this wisdom from? Super hidden wisdom of God. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Specifically the Spirit. Right? The wisdom. Holy Spirit. Wisdom of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Right? That's where we get that wisdom from. He goes on in uh, verse 12 of chapter 2 and says that we've received not the spirit of the wor world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. And he goes on to say, unless you're spiritual, unless you have the Holy Spirit, you mm -hmm. can't understand the things of God. Amen. Right? You need the Holy Spirit first. Right? Yeah. Understand. That doesn't make sense eyes. to people yeah. that, that are perishing. Yeah. So we should, sense. going back to how does this affect our evangelism and apologetics, right? We should kind of expect some sort of like that look like you're crazy or some sort of pushback or some sort of something, right? Because, and we should be like, well, that's because they have not been enlightened by the Holy Spirit yet. So of course mm -hmm. they're going to think it's folly. Right? That doesn't stop me from continuing to talk it out and hope that the spirit does the work of opening their eyes right we can't do that the spirit needs to do that but we need to be faithful as well yeah. he talks about the nature of ministry in chapters three and four again goes back to divisions in the church right um, another encouraging verse for our evangelism and apologetics chapter three verse seven so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, mm -hmm. but only God who gives the growth. Yep. Right? So we go around dropping seeds. right? Yeah. God, the Holy Spirit, is the one that opens eyes. God's the Holy Spirit who convicts of sin and gives that growth. So uh, when we talk about the ministry of the gospel, right? remember it's the work of the Holy Spirit that gives growth. Um, and again, another big verse at the end of chapter 4, talking about ministry. Chapter 4, verse 20, The kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. Right? That's, what, that's what they see in Corinth all around them. Right? They see fancy rhetoric, and they see talk, and they see wisdom of the world. And Paul says it doesn't rest in any of that. It rests in power, and specifically the power of the resurrection, which we'll get to later on. Um, chapters 5 and 6 he talks about some very specific things that are going on in the Corinthian church the first one is lawsuits among believers straw poll should we sue other Christians no yes <laughs> <laughs> oh we have premarital tomorrow, tomorrow night tomorrow. we'll talk about that, so we'll that one out. <laughs> what's that I literally said what you said with different words stop using my jokes Mike we'll talk about that tomorrow we will. Uh, no. What do you think? No. We, well, the future Barlows are split down the middle. <laughs> I think Steve's just trying to be silly. Yeah. But yeah, not a believer against a believer. Not right. a believer against yeah. a believer. Why not? Because you should take it to them first, and if not, 
and take a witness with you. Also, we can't. We have a process. We have a process, process within yeah. the yep. church to yeah. solve yeah. the problems. Yep. Go ahead. Right. Like, like suing someone over possessions is tricky in the church too, because we're supposed to willingly share everything. Yep. So you can't really like, you can't sue me for my own thing. Right. So if we're functioning as a church body in. In yeah. sharing all things there you that go. you right. have nothing to stand on. Paul actually, if we're a healthy church body, like it, it, Paul actually comes out and says it, that uh, the fact that there are, very, there are lawsuits among you right now is is a fail. Right. Like it, ju it just shows that you guys are not functioning as a healthy church body. Right. We have a process for dealing with disagreements, right? More than that, right, we have the Holy Spirit within us. So shouldn't we be able to work out our own differences if we have a process and we have the Holy Spirit? Absolutely, we should. And it is a terrible witness to the world. And he says, imagine, he goes, two believers going to a secular judge to work out something between them. He's like, that's an embarrassment. Yeah. Yep. And so he's, he's very, he comes down on them uh, very, very harshly. And I would agree with him completely, right? I think there are some maybe exceptions, but I think those have to be rare. Those really, really do. Uh, I mean, if we're talking about a lot of money and, you know, maybe if, I know, I know a situation where a guy did a lot of work, like tens of thousands of dollars worth of work for another professing believer. And the other guy just said, I'm not paying you. Mm -hmm. And he's like, he did months worth of work in this house and tens of thousands of dollars and the guy was just like no i don't want to pay you just flat out just like wow. it's kind of like my my family here my livelihood my paying my bills like what am i going to do and and is he a believer is he not a believer like you can make the case that he's not and it's a pretty cut and dry case in that regard it's just like i did the work he didn't pay me like so something like that maybe i don't know but you know of course try to work it out and he did i actually don't know the outcome of that i'm pretty sure that he just wrote it off. Instead of going to court, I think he just said, yeah, it's a lot of money, but yeah. I'm just gonna trust God. We did. Oh, wow. Wow. I know. He let it go. Yep. Yep. Wow. And I know for a fact that the Lord blessed his business tremendously after that. But yeah, it was, it was a big deal for a long time. So he talks about lawsuits among believers. Then he talks about sexual immorality. And sometimes, this is a good example, right? There have been letters back and forth from Paul to Corinth that we don't have, right? It looks like Paul sent them one letter, which is lost. So this is probably more like 2 Corinthians, right? They send a letter back to Paul, right? And now Paul's kind of responding to this letter, right? So in chapter 6, verse 12, if you see that all things are lawful yeah. for me, you see it's in quotes, that's Paul quoting them. Saying, this is what you said to me. All things are lawful for me. And then he answers it. But not all things are helpful. Mm -hmm. right? And then again, he says, all things are lawful for me. But Paul says, but I will not be dominated by anything. Then he has another argument from them. Food is meant for the stomach and stomach for the food. And Paul answers, God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and, and the Lord for the body. Right? So there are some that are coming at Paul in the context of this saying, Greek dualism, right? My mind and my spirit are one thing. My body's another. Mm -hmm. I can do what I want with my body, Paul. I can have sex with whoever I want in my body. So go away from me. All things are lawful for me. We talked about it on Sunday. Antinomianism, yeah. right? Yeah. Just grace, man. I'm new in Christ. I'm free in Christ. I can do whatever I want. And you see there, they have a, it's kind of, Graphic in verse 13, food is meant for the stomach and stomach for food. I get hungry, I eat. I want to be with someone sexually, I just go be with someone sexually, Paul. I mean, it's just like, same thing. It's a natural thing. What's the problem? And Paul's like, whoa, time out. It's not a natural thing. It's sin. And, and plus, you're not going to be mastered by anything. And the body's not meant for sexual immorality. So Paul's pushing back on them in a very big way. This has got to be hard. This was a culture where... It's Absolutely. So prostitutes were yeah. the, the thing. So before they became believers, yep. they were frequenting those temples, and that was the the thing that they were supposed to be doing, yep. to honor Zeus or whoever, Apollo, Aphrodite, whoever yeah. they were. You know. Absolutely. So so this is a hard change of... Talk about a life transformation. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. Um, 
Paul says straight out in verse 18 of chapter 6, flee from sexual immorality. That's a command, right? Every other sin a person commits outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Right? He goes, you're a temple of the Holy Spirit. Don't be sinning sexually with your body. It's not, don't believe the worldview that says your body and your spirit are different. Don't believe the worldview that says it's just what we do. Just like eating food. No, it's not. So Paul's pushing back on them very, very uh, strongly, right? And he also um, pushes back on them, especially in view of church, right? Uh, If we back up to chapter 5, right, he goes at a crazy situation in the church. Mm -hmm. Chapter 5, verse 1, he says, Actually reported that there's sexual immorality among you and of a kind that's not even tolerated among the pagans, for a man has his father's wife. Best we can say, it's probably a stepmother situation, but this guy is sleeping with his stepmother. Mm-hmm. And the reaction of the church in verse 2, and you are arrogant. He says, ought you not to mourn? You guys are like, they're, they're almost celebrating this. They're proud of this. They're like, wow, this is such a wonderful thing or whatever. Like mm. some sexual perversions that are celebrated today, right? And LGBTQ and all of that. Mm-hmm. Oedipus Rex. What's that? Oedipus Rex. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. But Paul's like, you, you got to be kidding me. He says, the pagans don't even go this far. Mm-hmm. And this is the church. So he's like, he doesn't understand it. He's shocked, right? But look at um, the end of verse 2. He says, let him who has done this be removed from among you. Right? Paul ties it directly into the purity of the church and says, listen, this guy can't be a member <laughs> and sleeping with his mother and the stepmother. It doesn't work that way. Why is the purity of the church so important? It affects our witness, for one thing. Yeah. So let's it. let's go, let's go. Was that? Like it corrodes it from the inside. Yeah. Yeah. That's another thing. It's yeah. It's like a ripple effect. Yeah. 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 We have to be an example. Or like yeast. We have to bread. be. Yeah. We have to be an example and a clear example, right? Yeah. Think about it now. Unfortunately, in the church landscape in America. Right, progressive churches, open and affirming churches. You have the whole LGBTQ. They're okay with that. Other churches are not. What kind of message is that sending to the world? Yeah, like mixed messages. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Who's right? Yeah. Right. Can't even agree among yourselves. Yeah, can't even agree amongst yourselves. Right. They don't. They don't understand. So, yeah, church purity is critical. This also has a lot to do with church membership, right? Because he says, let this one be removed from you. So kind of in that is an inferred understanding that you know who is actually in and who's not in. Mm. And so again, he says you have to pronounce judgment on this one. Church discipline is important, right? You have to exercise that, right? There's a process there. Hopefully he would repent, but I would bet he's not gonna. If he's already thinking this is a good idea, this relationship, he's probably not gonna reason through this biblically, right? And Paul, again, we read it a couple of weeks ago on a Sunday morning, but the idea that, you know, we do need to judge those inside the church. And those who have become members, yeah, you are, you are held to, yeah, okay, I'm a member. This is what I believe. Okay, so if you start sleeping with your stepmom, it's <laughs> a complete violation of what this is. So we do have to judge those inside the church. And Paul's talking about judging their behaviors as sin. And once again in verse 13, he says, Purge the evil person from among you. He says, what business do I have judging outsiders? So those who are not members of the church, right? What does that mean? Why are we not supposed to judge the outsiders, those not in the church? God's got that. God's got that, yep. God will judge everybody, definitely. Yeah, because they're not believers. They don't claim to yeah. uh, to be uh, following God's law or, follow, or or having any relationship with God at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the gospels never stop sinning. Right. Right? That's not the gospel. We would expect unbelievers to do weird things like this. Right? right? Because we talked about it. The Holy Spirit hasn't opened their eyes to what is true and not true. So Mm -hmm. it's like, on the one hand, yes, it's hard to think about. But on the other hand, they're not believers. So we can't hold them to a code that they've not said they're agreeing to. Right? In a sense. The gospel is believe and repent. Yep. But after... They become Christians. Absolutely. We need to hold them to that. 
So yeah, so he drifts into then uh, principles about marriage and talks about, um, he's quoting them again in uh, 7.1. He says, now concerning about matters which you wrote, right? So their letter back to him, and he quotes them, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. And it's just like, wait, what? Like we've gone, okay, so we got one side of the church that's just like anything goes with anybody. And then you got another side of the church, most likely in reaction to this side, mm-hmm. right? That says, I'm yeah. just, forget it. It's all evil, right? Sex must be evil, so I'm never going to have sex. And Paul's like, okay, let's talk about a biblical balance here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> neither of those are correct. So that's what he spends time talking about. He clarifies it. He's like, that's what marriage is for, guys. That's, how, that's why God created marriage and so he goes on to say it's a very important part of marriage you should not deny each other in marriage it's uh, central to marriage and so he keeps talking about that there so very important uh, education for our friends in Corinth he also then kind of lays down before we get out of chapter 7 some biblical considerations for divorce and so you can see this playing out in the church in Corinth maybe one spouse hears the gospel gets saved the other spouse does not, right? Yeah. So now what are you going to do? Right? Hopefully the other spouse gets saved and you would stay in that marriage as long as possible. But what if the unbelieving spouse just takes off? Says, I didn't sign on for this. You weren't a Christian when I married you, so I'm out of here. Right? What does Paul say about that? Well, one thing is he takes off, but it's another thing if they stay together, there's always hope. Yes. Definitely always hope. What were you going to say? I think he said that's okay. Yeah. If the unbeliever leaves, that's yep. He says you gotta let him go. Mm-hmm. Yep. He says if the unbelieving spouse leaves, let him leave. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to look for it in the passage. Um, oh, thirteen. Uh, seven. Oh, back. Is it thirteen? Yeah. Uh, seven. Yep. Sorry. Go ahead, Joanne. If a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, yep. your children—that's no, not it. No, keep going. Yeah. Oh, otherwise, yep. your children would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. But if the unbeliever leaves, let him do so. A believing man or a woman is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. Yeah. So, again, as Wendy said, if they're willing to stay together as much as you can, stay together. Because who knows? You know, your your conduct hopefully should draw them to the gospel, right? Mm-hmm. But if the unbelieving spouse leaves, then they leave, right? Sometimes called abandonment, right? We generally recognize two biblical exceptions to divorce abandonment and uh unrepented sexual immorality right um adultery that sort of thing um of course the first goal in either one of those situations is reconciliation through the gospel but that's not possible if that's refused if that's not repented of right this is kind of a a way paul says you're not bound in that situation um he also says it's better to marry than to burn. That's it's better to marry than to burn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it's like, on the one hand, they're right, because it is a natural God-given right. urge, right? Just like hunger, yeah. right? But also, it's not the same, right? Yeah. So, Steve, you had a question? Not a good verse to burn. quote to your potential spouse's father. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No. Were you considering that, Steve? No, he he went beyond considering it. Hey, all they'll say this in the Bible. I mean, you're not wrong in one sense, but. It's all going to be good in 72 days or whatever the heck it is. 64. Well, 64. Okay, sorry. Don't make this longer. We're burning. That's awesome. 
<laughs> that was worth the price of admission right there. <laughs> it's around the corner. It is around the corner. Paul spends, I'll get you off this topic. Paul spends uh, a big chunk in the middle from chapters 8 through 11 kind of dealing with personal liberty issues. Right? Um, no, first up is food sacrifice to idols. So they had tons of Greek god temples all over the place, right? And so the way that it worked is temples were the preeminent buyers of meat and the preeminent cookers of meat. And they had these big dinners where they would make meat and they would worship this false god and they would do all kinds of sexual immorality or anything else that's against God's law. And then they would take the meat and they would sell it to market, whatever was left. And that's the meat that they went to Acme and you went to get it, right? And so the idea is some Acme. people... <laughs> what? Acme. Acme. Yeah. Some people... Um, maybe came from that lifestyle, right? Or some people would have a really hard time imagining and, and would have a conviction and a conscience issue, issue that this meat was sacrificed to idols and people were participating in all kinds of sin and eating and feasting on this. How am I supposed to eat this as a Christian, right? Yeah. Other people would just go to Acme and buy the meat and be like, I don't know where it came from. Who cares? Doesn't matter, right? And so Paul says, whoa, hold on here. Like, if, if you're inviting, you know, Lou over for dinner and Lou's really bothered by the fact yep. that this was sacrificed to Apollo or Aphrodite, right, and he knows it, right, don't make him eat it. And, mm-hmm. and you shouldn't make him eat it because that's a conscience issue. So do we have a right? We serve you any meat served by idols. Lord. Yeah, there you go. It's enough. <laughs> don't worry about it. Do Christians have a, uh, a right? <laughs> Is it sinful to eat meat that's been sacrificed to an idol? Only yeah. harming someone else. You're causing someone else. Yeah. Right. Not to stumble. In and of itself. Right. right. In and of itself, no. It's meat. Yeah. It has no, it doesn't, who knows where it came from? Like, I don't know where the meat came from that's in acne. Like, you know, I don't know. Right. Um, but on the other side, right, it is sin if someone is uh, bothered by that. So again... The idea in Christian liberty is that you should never use your liberty at the expense of a brother or sister. Yeah. You should never use your liberty, force your freedom on uh, a brother in Christ. You could use another example that comes up right away, which is alcohol. Yeah. Right? If somebody has a problem with alcohol, somebody who's recovering as an alcoholic or something, somebody's tempted to sin, like, don't go cracking a beer in front of them yep. and drinking it. Right? Why? Because you're just making it harder on them. Yeah. The idea is you don't want to do that. Yes, you have freedom to have a beer. Right. But wait, don't do it in front. Like, why, why do you need to do it in front of them? I, I had right. some friends who were former alcoholics, too, and they know that we enjoy a glass of wine with dinner or something like sure. that. They will come, because they have no problem with it, some of them, many right. of them, and they will tell us right out, you know, go yep. ahead and have a glass of wine. You yep. know, they'll, but I, we wouldn't if they didn't say anything. If yep. they didn't say anything, we wouldn't do anything to make them stumble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. And that's that's the way we should have, right? We should never say, yeah. no, I'm free in Christ. I, I, yeah. I can do this. Sorry you have a problem with it. Yeah. Like that. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's very, very insensitive yeah. and not Christian yeah, at all. exactly. So we should, uh, we should be very, very careful. Paul himself does not make use of his rights. Yeah. Um, and he does it. He, he lays down his rights rather for the gospel to go forward uninhibited. And that's our example. That's what we should be doing. Um, he talks more in chapter 10 about idolatry, right? Again, um, that we should not be worshiping anything other than God himself, right? And we have all kinds of idols today. We don't have idols of wood and stone that live in temples necessarily in America, but we have all other kinds of idols that we talk about quite a bit. We have those too, though. We do. <laughs> you know, we definitely do. Temples for we have, Buddha. We have pocket idols. I was going to say, the electronic ones yeah. every one of us has in our pocket right now. Yeah, we have pocket idols. Yeah. What? This is my Bible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing of it. It can be used for, for good or bad. Oh, yeah, we can, we can whitewash it and be like, yeah. oh. Depends on what you're looking at. Right. Yep. Um, and the resolution is uh, chapter 10, verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. That's our lives. Whatever we're doing, whether we're looking at our phone, whether we're eating something or drinking something, we do it all to the glory of God. Right? Two greatest commandments. First greatest commandment is what? 
Love God with everything you have, right? Heart, soul, mind, strength. The second one is love your neighbor as yourself, right? That's the law in two little summary statements, right? So we got to make sure we do that well with God and with each other. He spends a lot of time in chapter 11 talking about public worship. So you can imagine with this vast group of, of different backgrounds coming into a public worship service with the new church trying to figure it out. you got people who are former prostitutes probably, uh, idol worshipers. You might have a couple of Jews. You might have a couple of Gentiles who are just like, I don't know any of this. Like I'm just trying to write. It all comes together. Yeah. And so I'm sure there was basically chaos happening. Um, he talks about head coverings. I was just going to say, all that head covering. The head covering. Did everybody else have to go to church with a covering on their head when they were little? Nope. Yeah. No, of course not. You went for <laughs> I lost all my head covering. Yeah. <laughs> I shave it off. Yeah, we had to wear like a little kerchief yeah, or yeah. a kid's hat. Yeah, and then it, but then it became bows. Bows were acceptable. Okay. And then it was okay. Yeah. Free hair, you know, but, but on the same note, I saw a couple of men sitting in yeah. church Sunday with hats on, and I thought, well, that's strange. Yeah. <laughs> wearing hats. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Get man a house. They're asked to remove their hats. Yeah. For prayer. Yeah. So well, it's kind of strange. I know John Lazarder asked for special. He did. He asked for papal dispensation. Yeah. He can't see with the lights overhead. So oh. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yep. I just so thought we, it was okay. Yeah. That's what I thought. That's I, another thing. I'm not going to make you not. Right. I'm not going to make you take it off. Right. Um, but. Uh, I don't cover my head. Why should he have to? Like, right. <laughs> I, I think this is. This, no, this wouldn't be, but it might refer to. The Hasidic Jewish women wear wigs. Like a man. Yeah. So, so this might come from. Well, this is this is a symbol of authority, right? So, uh, if a woman had a, 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 a basically a certain kind of head covering, it would indicate that they're married and they're under the authority of their husband, right? And so, there's this. There's still a, a debate on this, right? There are still people that say, no, this is valid. And one of my heroes in the faith, R.C. Sproul, his wife wore head covering, right, every Sunday when she was in church, right? Um, other people say, well, it's a symbol of authority. So if you have a head covering today, the average American's not going to look at you and say, oh, she's under the authority of her husband. Like yeah. most people say, well, there's a ring for that. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's something to work through. Um, it's neither here nor there. I yeah. preached this passage when we were in uh, 1 Corinthians. Yeah. And would you believe it? There was a visiting lady there that day who was wearing a head covering. <laughs> and I'm looking at her, I've never seen her before, and I'm, th I'm thinking, wow, that's weird, she's, got, she's still wearing a hat. Like, why didn't she take it off when she came inside? And I'm like, I know what that is, that's an actual head covering. So, and I, I came up to her, she saw me at the door, and we, we uh, looked at each other, you know, from like across the room, and she, came, she was shaking her head, she's like, seriously, today? head coverings today. I'm like, well. <laughs> That's uh, where we were. That's just where we were. I didn't pick it. Yeah, no, Maybe God picked deal. it. Yeah. 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 You look like you're about to say something. Women at my parents' church wear hats. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it's not everyone. It's just like a it's like a preference thing. Uh -huh. So they don't like hold people to it. Yeah. Um, legalistically. Right? Yeah. Now if one of them shows up with a hat, they're not taking it off because that thing's pinned in there. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I I, I noticed on a closer inspection that that was no ordinary hat she was wearing. Yeah. 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 I don't know. I, I kind of, there's a special place in my heart for it. I think there's a little bit of reverence to it. Part of me there thinks is. it's cool. Yeah. Part of me there doesn't. Is. I don't know. <laughs> he talks about uh, the Lord's yeah. Supper, which they were making a mockery of in many ways. They were getting drunk. They were using it as their own personal, like, you know, Supper and getting full, and other people were going hungry. I was going to say, wasn't there a haves and have nots yep. at one point? Yep, there was a, a VIP seating. Yeah. <laughs> so they were totally abusing the Lord's Supper. And when we get to spiritual gifts, they were all over the map uh, in spiritual gifts. Um, right, and the point of spiritual gifts is to build up mm -hmm. the church. Whereas now they were a real church, they had the Holy Spirit, so actually spiritual gifts were happening, and they were basically saying, wow, look at me, and the mm -hmm. spiritual gift, and Paul's going, hold on, hold the phone here. Uh, they are for building up the church. Verse 7 in chapter 12 says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit, right? In other words, gifts. Why? 
for the common good. And so, guys, you're missing the boat here if you're making it all about yourself and your gifts that yeah. you are doing. Mine says to produce what is beneficial. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. He talks about uh, one body, many members, which is always encouraging because we need lots of different uh, kinds of service in the yeah. church. Chapter 13 is the famous chapter on love, mm -hmm. the biblical definition of love, mm -hmm. which Steve and Noel know well because we spent lots of time <laughs> in premarital talking about the biblical definition of love versus the worldly definition of love. It's not a feeling, right? right? It's not uh, physical attraction. It's not, there's one more that I'm not thinking of right now. The world has all kinds of definitions of love, right? Yeah. But Paul says love is patient and kind. It does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. In the kicker, verse 7, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things, and it never ends. So the biblical definition of love. Um, he then in 14 goes headlong into the charismatic gifts prophecy and tongues. Um, you remember it in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit fell at Pentecost, what happened? They all spoke that every tongue, every uh, nationality could hear yep. their own tongue. And what was also what was also happening, right? As they were speaking in, in their other languages. Others were translating. Others were translating, right? right? People who spoke those languages were going, well, I hear it in my own language and I understand what they're saying, right? What's happening in Acts chapter 14 is not that because people are speaking in known human languages that they don't, they had not learned, right? Yeah. But there's no one there to interpret. Right, he speaks mysteries in the spirit, he says. Yeah. yeah. So then that shouldn't be done. That shouldn't be done because what are they doing now? They're just speaking this language out loud. Right. Again, kind of saying, look at me. I suddenly yeah. have the ability to speak whatever language, Parthenian right. or something. There right. needs to be somebody to translate that. Right. right. And so if you're just like he says, if you're just like a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal or an instrument right. that's playing out of tune, like you're literally tooting your own horn. Like you just don't. What are you saying? And nobody understands you. Right. But you're going on and on and on about that. Those people that like to speak in tongues, they could go in their own closet, their own prayer closet, right? And they could speak yes. whatever they, whatever Paul does comes out of their mouth, right. they could speak. But, but they're not um, causing another one to stumble by, by being alone. Yeah, in, um, mm -hmm. in verse 18 of chapter 14, okay. Paul says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, so he's giving a uh, differentiation right. there. In church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. So it's either one of two things. Either yes... Paul's saying that he has a private prayer language that only he knows that he speaks to God and that God understands that. Okay. I think the door's cracked a little bit for that, maybe. Right? The other thing could be that just flat out he does have the gift of tongues because he went on three missionary journeys and, right. and God gave him the ability to preach the gospel in all of those right. places with all different languages. Right? So, not sure what it is. Or it could be both. Could be both. Could be both. Absolutely. Because he probably did speak multiple languages. Yeah. So I will I will crack the door and say, you know, if, if it could be a private prayer language, but I will also say it's very clear. If you are speaking basically nonsense in church and no one can understand it, Paul's condemning that. And yet, that's what we see in a lot of Pentecostal charismatic churches, charismatic churches, yeah. right? That's very dramatic. Falling on the ground. Yes. 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 Like, that's freaky. Yes. Oh, yeah, that is freaky. It is that's very, not... it's, that's why Paul says at the end of 14, look, let everything be done in order. Like, there's got to be an order to this thing. Otherwise, unbelievers will walk into your meeting, he says, and think you're nuts. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> you already think yep. you're nuts. <laughs> yeah. He says, this is not a good witness. Right? Um, he talks not, about. Not that we're trying to be seeker friendly no. either. That's the no, other, but they you know, should be able to see some sort of. I mean, we shouldn't order. make that the focus yeah. either. 
you know, church is what church is, yeah. but there should be order. Exactly. He says verse, in verse... How church should be. He what, says in verse 15, about. right to that point, he says, yeah. I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I'll sing with my mind also. Mm-hmm. Like, we, we got to engage our brains here, yeah. right? Yeah. It's not just emotion, yeah. right? He says you got to ground it in, yeah. in something here. And he says in order. Uh, God is not a God of confusion, but yeah. of peace, he says. He spends time in chapter 15 talking about the resurrection, which is arguably the most important part of the letter. Uh, before he gets there in, in 15, 1 through 3, he talks about literally what is the most important thing. So picture everything he's been talking about up until this point, especially gifts and other things like that. He's like, hey, this is literally in verse 3. This is of first importance. Here it is. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried. And on the third day, he was raised in accordance with the scriptures. And he appeared to people, right? He said, guys, let's remember what the most important thing is here. It's the gospel. It's Jesus Christ, right? Please remember that. Um, The resurrection, though, is the most important part because if we don't have the resurrection, what what does that mean for us? Uh, Nothing. Nothing. How is our faith? Something void of us. Yeah, Yeah, it is is, uh, in vain, right? Verse 14 of chapter 15 says, If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is in vain, your faith is in vain. We're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified, testified about God that he raised Christ, that he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. Right? It just gets worse and worse. Like, uh, our preaching is in vain, so what we're doing in church is worthless. Right? Uh, our faith is worthless. And we're also lying about God because God's the one that said he raised Jesus from the dead. So, so we should be pitied it's more all, than anyone. It's all bad. Yeah. <laughs> so if we don't have the resurrection, we don't have anything. Yeah. Yeah. We have nothing. So it is critical, critical to us. Um, he talks a little bit about um, the end of the end times when Jesus returns. <coughs> and it's actually very important. Uh, in verse 25, uh, Christ has been raised. Let's see. Well, verse 23. Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. So in other words, we have a resurrection as well. Right? In a spiritual sense, we're resurrected to new life when we believe in Jesus Christ. We go from death to life spiritually. But there will also be a physical resurrection. We will be resurrected physically with Christ. He says, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God to the Father after destroying every rule and authority and power, for he must reign until he's put all enemies under his feet, and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Mm. So he says, listen, this is kind of an order of what's going to happen when Christ returns, right? Right now, Christ is ruling and reigning. This is happening. He's ascended to the right hand of the Father, so he's ruling and reigning right now, right? All the enemies are being destroyed. When we say enemies, we mean things that are uh, our opponents, ideas that set themselves up against the knowledge of God, right? Mm-hmm. We're using the gospel to break down strongholds and all of that stuff, right? And as that happens, he's gaining more ground, the church is gaining more ground, and the last enemy to be defeated is death. When Christ comes, the believers who have died will be resurrected, and then he will judge the world. So he kind of gives an order of the way that things go. The last enemy to be defeated is dead. He goes on to uh, talk about the resurrection body because in verse 35 he's like, well, what are we going to look like? What kind of body are we going to have? We're going to be resurrected. <laughs> I don't get it. Yeah. And Paul says, very comforting in verse 36, you idiot. What's, oh, you foolish person. What does not sow does not come back to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel perhaps of wheat or some other grain. It's like, I He's basically, I don't know what it's going to look like. It's, it's <laughs> going to be amazing. Maybe I'll be barley. Right? <laughs> It'll be barley. Um, so some theologians, and I kind of go with them, think that Corinth, one of the other things, is they are suffering from, it's a nerdy theological term, but it's an over-realized eschatology, which means they think way too much about Jesus coming back 
When is it going to happen? What are we going to look like when we're resurrected? All of that stuff. They're spinning their wheels in this. And Paul's like, remember what's most important here, guys. The resurrection happened. It's the key to our faith. He will return. It will be all in his uh, perfect timing and his perfect sovereignty. Don't get too caught up in this. right? Because we don't know when he's going to come back. We don't know what our resurrected bodies are going to look like. But he does say, at the end of chapter 15, mm-hmm. he says, guess what? Because of the resurrection, death is swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Mm-hmm. He says, because of his resurrection, right, we will be raised one day, and so death is defeated. So encouraging for us, right? And he gives him this kind of summary statement in... Verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Does that encourage us for today? Yes. Mm -hmm. What does it mean to be steadfast and immovable? Okay. Steadfast isn't much of a word we use these days, but it's a good word. I vote for more more use of steadfast. You circle it every time I come across it in the Bible. Yeah. I just love the word. It is a good word. It's just... It means to... to move with a determined purpose. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, be purposeful in yep. what you're doing. That's I like that. how we probably say it today. Yep. Yeah. And be immovable. And what an encouragement for today when we have so much false doctrine. I don't doctrine. like immovable as much as right. purposeful. Though. <laughs> Immovable, you know, could be that somebody's just sitting there like a lump, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah. Whereas purposeful, you're 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 you are you are going in yeah. this direction. And well, I think they're both true, yeah. right? They're going right. in that direction, and I and you can't change, and you can't deter right. me from going. You're not going to be moved off the truth, right? Not going to be moved off the truth, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah. So that that's what he's going yeah. for there. And then he says, always That's why it's a good word, because it really, there's no word exactly like it. Yep. Yep. So I want you all to use steadfast at least once. In some way. In a sentence sometime tonight. Sometime. What? Say it every day. That's the theme verse for today. Oh, it's seed. So I actually have been saying it quite a bit. If you all come to the walk in October, you'll get it on a t-shirt. Just saying. What if you can't make the walk? <laughs> if I just support because you, poorly if you happen to be Uh-oh. a board member, I think we can swing it. <laughs> <laughs> What's the t-shirt say? Steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the world. Oh, I may have to walk this year. Do <laughs> no, it. No way to walk. Wendy, it's a very small walk. Yeah. yeah it's, oh, it's, it's easy. It's, it's, sure. walk. it's very flat. Oh, okay. yeah. Yeah. I love yeah, that. It's just one little yeah. lane. Oh. Yeah. There you go. Look at that. Wow. Free commercial for TC. Yeah. yeah. There you go. I want the t-shirt. Six months Now you can tell Lori at a speaking yeah. engagement yeah. where you made a presentation yeah. about the walk. <laughs> Very nice. Paul gives us as he closes just kind of what I call his shotgun blast of random things that he probably forgot throughout the letter right? in no particular order um, and then he you know does his fair share of you know here's where I'm going my travel plans and uh, you know here's who you can greet right all of that so just a, a very, very... Like the holy kiss. That, that's not used that often. Yep. Greet, greet one another with a holy kiss. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, especially yeah. after COVID. Yeah. 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 What a mess. Yeah. That was. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so next week, 2 Corinthians. A little bit shorter book than 1 Corinthians. 13 chapters. I like to curse at the end. If anyone does not love the Lord, a curse be on you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, let me uh, let me pray for us. Mm -hmm. Dismiss you to your Wednesdays. All encouraged from First Corinthians. Father, we do thank you for your word and the way that you've inspired your word and preserved your word. And uh, what a just a 
full and abounding word it is, Lord, um, with all of these instructions and encouragements and truth about who you are, Lord. I pray that you would use your spirit in such a way as to encourage and instruct each one of us in the particular area tonight where you need us to, um, just from this little overview of 1 Corinthians, whether that's encouragement or conviction or um, a challenge to be steadfast and immovable and always abounding in the work of the Lord, whatever that is, Lord, please use your spirit to do that. Thank you for these people here and those online. Dismiss us with your blessing. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.